book of Joshua, chapter number one. Joshua, chapter one. Man, what a blessing to get to be with you here in the house of the Lord. Do pray for my wife. She's sick under the weather, and she's at the house tonight. And uh, I appreciate what Brother Jim said. Pray I don't get it. Amen. So that that's, I mean, pray she gets better too, I guess. But uh, definitely pray that I don't get it. Amen. Joshua chapter number one, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. Joshua chapter number one, verse number one. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. I'd ask you to bless your word, Lord. There's so much about me that comes up short of being able to be blessed. And and Lord, I'm certainly deserving of no honor in any way. So Lord, I don't ask you to honor me tonight, but I ask you to honor your word this evening. I pray, Lord, that your word would have preeminence here, that every single person under the sound of my voice would be willing to hear your word, to heed your word, and to see it applied in their lives. And, Lord, now only you can do that work, so we're trusting it, committing it to your care. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you're a student of the word of God, then this is probably not an unfamiliar passage of Scripture to you. Of course, we're reading the first chapter in the book of Joshua. But it's not merely a transitional time in the Bible because it stands at the beginning of the book of Joshua. But if you study through the history of the children of Israel, you'll know that this moment is in fact almost a hinge upon which their history turns. They have spent 40 years wandering through the Sinai wilderness. And now here they stand again at Kadesh Barnea on the very cusp of entering into Canaan. Moses, the Lord has uh, taken him home to heaven. He did not permit him to enter into the promised land. Now the children of Israel are standing at the cusp of a brand new day in their history as a people. It would, I think, be appropriate to say they are entering into a new season in their life. You know, here's the reality about life. You're going to have new seasons in your life. 
Things are not always going to stay the same in your life. And when I read this passage of Scripture, there's four things that jump out to me. Before we even get into our message, I want to notice them. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. When I read this passage, the first thing I notice is there is a change that has taken place. Moses, being the man of God, being the prophet of God, being the leader of God's people, has died. It's interesting to think that the God would begin this conversation by making this statement to Joshua. Isn't that interesting? God knows that Moses is dead, and, Mo- and uh, well, Moses does know Moses is dead, but Joshua knows Moses is dead. Uh, he's not telling him anything he does not already know. Joshua is keenly aware that Moses is dead. So why does God say this? Why does God go out of his way to emphasize this? Well, he's pointing out to Joshua that a major change had taken place in the lives of the children of Israel. Who was Moses? Well, there's three things we could say about him. One, Moses was their leader. In other words, he was the man that they looked to for guidance as a people. You know, sometimes in your life you won't always have the people there that have been the faithful stalwarts and standards to point you in the right direction. I think about my life and people that God has used in my life that were a persistent and consistent voice for truth in my life. I'm thankful for those people. I had people that that I could always count on to tell me the truth and to tell me right But the reality is some of those people are not there in my life today. They're for a number of reasons. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. Some of them have gone on to other places and locations. Some of them have gone on from following the Lord. And I wouldn't want to heed their advice any longer. And so Moses, he is their leader. He has been the one that has been directing them and guiding them. But now all of a sudden Moses is dead. That's a pretty big change in life. Not only was he their leader, but in a sense, and I'll explain what I mean by this, he was their provider. Now, I understand Moses wasn't the one that actually provided for them. And Moses himself would on uh, several occasions point to the children of Israel and say, why do you look to me? Am I God? Can I feed this great multitude? But there's also no question that when they had a need, they would come to Moses and Moses would go to the Lord and Moses would procure for them from God the things that they needed. In other words, he was for them in their mind a source of provision in their life, almost like a child with parents. And, uh, you know, we as parents can say all the time, you know, it's not us that provides for our kids. It's the Lord that provides for them. And I certainly would say amen to that in my life. But we also understand our children look to us for those needs. Well, the children of Israel look to Moses for those needs. Now, who's going to provide for them? You know, in your life, you may have times when you've had a steady source of support or of income, a steady source of provision in your life, and then all of a sudden that thing is just gone. Everything's changed in a moment. He was their leader. He was their provider. But then I would note this. He was also their intercessor. On several occasions, God was ready to wipe out the children of Israel. Think of it for a moment. His his beloved people, the apple of his eye, and on several occasions, God was getting ready to wipe them all out and start anew with Moses. But Moses would go to the Lord and say, Now, Lord, you can't do this. The heathen will blaspheme your name. People will think you've gone back on your promises. He wasn't charging the Lord, but he was reminding the Lord how much there was at stake. In other words, he stood in between the people and God. 
Let me say, man, while it's true that we don't need any human being to be an advocate between God and us, and I'm thankful that we have an intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of intercession, intercessory prayer, is certainly a biblical concept. And I'm thankful for the people that have prayed for me. wonder where I'd be without people praying for me. People that loved me enough to love me in spite of my foolishness, in spite of my stubbornness, to pray me to God and to love me to God at a time when I didn't have enough sense to go to God and were bringing my plight and my need and my person up to the Lord and asking God to intervene on my behalf. Man, thank the Lord for people that have done that in my life. There's no telling where you'd be without those people. You probably don't even know the times that you were in danger, but somebody was praying for you and it made all the difference you know those people aren't around forever in our life oftentimes and you may be sitting here tonight and you may say preacher i've gone through a great change in my life everything i thought would always be there is no longer there everything i thought i could always count on has failed me all these changes have happened in my life now here's the question i have for you what are you going to do in light of that change is a reality in your life and mine Things are not always going to stay the same in our situation and, and, and our and our life. And, and we have to make our mind up whether we will overcome the changes that we encounter or allow those changes to overcome us. God points to a change in this passage. But then look at verse 2. He says, now therefore. Now, again, I'm a broken record, but I'm going to keep saying the therefores are there for a reason. God's saying, what are you going to do in light of that? God says, here's what I'm telling you to do in light of it. The Lord says, here's my counsel in light of it. He says, now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. You see, there's not just a change in this text. There is a challenge in this text. And God, if I was to to just describe it in as simple terms as possible, God says, don't give up. Don't quit. Things may have changed. They may not be the way that they used to be. They may not be the way that you wish that they were. But you can either pack it up and quit on me, or you can get up, arise, and go forward and serve me in spite of those changes. I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm probably not going to tell you anything groundbreaking tonight. But I want to encourage you to say, go on and serve the Lord. Don't give up on God. He's not giving up on you, so you don't give up on Him. There's a challenge in this passage. But then, verse number 3, there is a charge in this passage. He says this, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Then he enumerates some boundaries. He says, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. So there is a challenge. He says, I want you to get up and go on and keep serving me. But then there is a charge. Now, you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? What distinction do you make there? Well, first, he just says, don't quit, don't give up. But then he says, here's all that I'm going to do for you if you will just serve me. In other words, we, just because we encounter change in our life, we shouldn't see that as a diminishing of God's working in our life, but rather as an opportunity for God to do greater things in and through our life. I'm going to be honest with you. You may be surprised by what you're encountering, but God is not surprised by what you're encountering. Your plan may have not factored in what has transpired in your life, but nothing that has happened to you has come as a surprise to the Lord. 
And until you reconcile yourself to that reality, you will continue to stay dazed and in a stupor, spiritually speaking. But the sooner you realize that, hey, God is not caught off guard by what I'm going through, and God is a big God with big plans, and if I'll keep following Him and serving Him, He's going to do big things through my life. There is a charge in this passage. And then I like verse 5, and I just, I'm a preacher, so I can't help but alliterate things, and I, and I saw it, and I just want to say it, even if it don't have much to do with what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because I like it. Verse 5, there is a champion. He says this, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Now you might say, well, preacher, I sure don't feel that way right now. Well, that's because you're looking at you. But look what God says. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I'm glad there's a champion in this text too. And God says, you may not feel up to that task, but I'm up to that task. And you may not know what's coming down the road, but I know what's coming down the road. And you may be afraid that you'll fail me, and undoubtedly you probably will. But the Lord says, I will never fail you. I'll be with you no matter what you encounter. See, here's the fact. You're you're no less equipped for this situation than you were for the last situation. So one of two things is wrong. You either thought you were eminently equipped for the last situation, and that was false, or you have uh, wildly overestimated the season you are entering into and God's capacity to deal with it. In other words, it's either because you're thinking much of you or little of God, or else you'd recognize that no matter what you are facing, God is equipped to face it. You say, well, preacher, I don't know if I'm ready. And you may not be ready in and of yourself, but if you ever thought you were ready, you deceived yourself. If anything good has come out of your life, it's been the Lord that has done it. If you've successfully served God, it's been God that's done it through you. So no matter what you're facing, you can remain steadfast in this new season. I want to preach for just a few minutes on that thought. I want you to look at our text, and I want you to notice three things that it will take from us to be steadfast in a new season of our life. Now, you might say tonight, preacher, everything's the same. It's always been in my life, and maybe that's true for you. If that's the case, guess what? You're due for a big shake-up, all right? So get ready. Or you may be sitting there saying, preacher, I feel like everything, I feel like somebody took my life and put it on spin cycle, and I don't know which way is up. No matter your circumstance, these three things are what you're going to have to do to let God use your life in this season and let God get a victory through your life through this season and out of this season. I want you to look with me at verse number six. The Bible says this, be strong and of a good courage for unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance, uh, the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now, we'll look here in a little while at the specific uh, details of what Joshua says here, what the Lord says to Joshua. But I just want to pick up on that first phrase that the Lord tells Joshua in verse 6. He says, be strong and of a good courage. Man, that's good Bible counsel. We need to be reminded that we're going to have to have some courage to live for the Lord. I know that we live in a world that is so drunk on feelings and addicted to perspective that there's this sort of temptation to make, to validate every feeling that everybody has. I want to say two things about feelings. One, feelings don't have to be validated because they are just that. They are feelings. If you feel them, you felt a thing. Congratulations. The problem is not whether we validate or invalidate feelings. The problem is the uh, weight and gravity that we place on feelings in the first place. 
It's not wrong to have feelings. Hey, we got feelings, I mean, in spades here at Wall Ridge Baptist Church. But those feelings should not be the thing that dictate our path and govern our our walk. And so instead of spending all of our time asking whether we're justified in whatever feelings that we might have or not have, it'd be far better if we aligned ourselves with biblical truth and asked this question, what is it that God expects out of me regarding my behavior irrespective of the feelings that I may have? Here's what God says. God says, be strong. God says, be of a good courage. Now, lest you think we just found this in one place and drove a nail there, I want you to notice this phrase all through this chapter. And it's not the only place it's found elsewhere in the Word of God. But verse 6, it says, be strong and of a good courage. The very next verse, verse 7, says, only be thou strong and very courageous. Again, in our text, verse number 9 says, have not I commanded thee, be strong And of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. And then down in verse 18, he says this at the end of the verse, only be strong and of a good courage. Sounds to me like it's important that we have courage as we go into a new season of our life. We've got to learn to have faith and trust God and not allow our anxieties and our fears to govern and dominate us. Listen, you say, preacher, it's human to worry. Yeah, but it's spiritual to trust. Preacher, it's only natural to be afraid. Yeah, I know, but it's spiritual to have faith. I'm not fussing at you for the natural tendency to be afraid. We all have a natural tendency when we don't know what's coming up in life to be wracked with anxiety. But I am saying you have to make a deliberate decision to not let that govern you and drive you in your life, but instead to by faith trust God for what may come next. Look at verse 9. Let's We'll just notice it there. Notice, number one, we are called to courage. He says, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Now, if you're a Bible believer, and if you have a biblical perspective of God, then I think we could all readily acknowledge that God will never command you to do something that he will not equip you to perform. Now, God commands us to do all the things all the time that we can't in our own energy or in our own ability or with our own ingenuity or intelligence do. In fact, almost every facet of the Christian life, other than being a hypocrite, is something we can do in and of, that we can't do in and of ourselves. It's going to take the Lord to do that in our life. And so the question is not, well, preacher, can I in and of myself Trust God with what I'm facing. My question is, uh, well, first my answer is no. But then my question is, why would you want to try? Instead, it's going to take the Lord's strength to give you strength. It's going to take the Lord's courage to give you courage. And I just point out the fact this evening that you say, well, preacher, it's only natural to be fearful with what I am facing. I understand that. But God commanded you to be courageous. Being courageous does not mean not feeling fear. But it means trusting God in spite of that fear. Uh, doing what God says in spite of that fear. You are called, listen, anxiety and fear is no excuse to give up on God and quit on God. The fact is the flesh always recoils at what God commands, but you are commanded to have faith and trust Him nonetheless. We're called to courage. But then notice what he says next. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Now, what does the term dismayed mean? Well, it means to be beside yourself or to be out of sorts. In other words, God says, I'm not just calling you to be courageous and to go forward and trust me no matter what. He said, I am also commanding you to be calm as well. 
He says, do not allow your fears and anxieties, not just to govern what you do externally, but don't let them dominate your peace of mind internally. You say, well, preacher, how can I help that? There's things that are terrifying in my life. Well, you've got to take what's bad and replace it with what's good. You've got to take those fears and anxieties and crowd them out with the truth of God's word and with faithful, fervent prayer. I don't mean simply uh, praying and then all of a sudden feeling better about it. But I mean, when you don't feel good about it, talk to the Lord about it. I mean, when all of a sudden the fears and anxieties begin to flood in, go to the word of God and allow the word of God to minister to you and to soothe your heart and to soothe your mind. God never called anybody to be a basket of nerves. God never called anybody to be to, to, to just be tore all to pieces and out of frame all the time. I understand I've been there and you probably have too. I'm not saying this with any tone or tinge of cynicism or being judgmental. I've been there just like you have. And it was wrong when I was there, just like it's wrong when you're there. In other words, God commands us to be fearless. And if you're going to end this new season, serve the Lord, you're going to have to be fearless. Look back with me at verse 6. I want you to notice a second thing. He says this, be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. He says, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that phrase, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that really only leaves one option, and that's to look straight ahead. There's a word that comes to my mind when I read that phrase, and I'm going to phrase it this way. We are commanded to not only be fearless, but to be focused. There's a lot of people when changes come into their life that get distracted and that get derailed from serving God. In fact, you could probably go up and down the road and as you witness to people, I don't know how often people ever pursue this question any further, but if you uh, witness to people in the streets of Knoxville, Tennessee, and you ask them, do you go to church anywhere, almost invariably, uh, unless they're just a rank infidel, they'll generally say, oh, I used to. You ever hear that from people? Oh, I used to. And I don't know how often you ask them what happened. Maybe you do. But a great many of them, some of them probably are lying. It's funny, sometimes they'll, they'll, sometimes they'll give you a church. I always love it when they give me a church somewhere that I know, uh, and I know the pastor. Because when they do, and they'll say, oh yeah, I go down to whatever church. I'll say, really? I say, who's the pastor there now? And they just stare at you. Because if they've ever been there, it's been 30 years, but they probably have never. That's just what came up on Google first when they looked. But a lot of times when you ask people that will say, well, I used to go, uh, the thing that always strikes my mind is, well, what happened? And for some of them, what happened is they allowed some change in their life, some new job, some new geographic location, uh, maybe some tragedy or calamity in their life, maybe some disappointment on the behalf of somebody, but they let some change in their life distract them from serving the Lord. Don't think for one moment that distraction is not one of the chief tools of the devil. If he can distract you away from serving God, he always will. Well, here's what the Lord says to Joshua. He says, don't be distracted, stay focused. He mentions two things. Verse 6, he says, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. 
Now, this is particularly the responsibility of Joshua as their leader. Of course, he's going to lead them into the land of Canaan, lead them in their battles of conquest to take the land of Canaan. But part of his responsibility and part of the reason that God had raised him up to serve in Moses' stead is because somebody would have to be the one to set the boundary lines and to distribute those lands and to oversee the administration of that task. In other words, he's saying to Joshua, when Moses died, there was a task that was left unfinished. And this task, Joshua, is now your task. And the task has not changed. It may have changed hands, but it has not changed. And he's saying, Joshua, stay focused on the task at hand. Joshua, don't get distracted going this direction and that direction. Stay focused serving me. One of the best things you can do when change comes into your life is double down on serving God. Just bury your head down in the work and you say, well, preacher, can't that get you overburdened? Well, if you're not doing it with the Lord's help, it can. Preacher, can't that make you discouraged? Well, if you're doing it in your own energy, it can. But what I see as a more prevalent danger in people's life is when all of a sudden change happens in their life, it's like it shakes them loose and they just stand there, spiritually speaking, looking around, wondering if they'll ever serve God again. One of the best things you can do is stay focused on what you know is true and right. Keep serving God. Keep living for the Lord. Say, preacher, I can't serve him the way that I used to. No, but you can still serve him. I preacher, things have changed. It doesn't look like it used to look. No, maybe it doesn't look like it used to look. But I promise you, there's enough work to do in winning the loss to Christ, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, encouraging Christians in, in, in the Lord. There's enough work to do to keep everyone busy. You say, well, preacher, I don't know what lay ahead. Well, you don't have to. You just have to know what lays at hand. And don't give up on the task at hand. And then look at verse 7. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. I like this last phrase, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Hey, do you want to prosper in life? The word of God is the key to prospering in life. You want your life to be better, apply the word of God to it. Live for the Lord and your life will be better. It doesn't mean it won't have problems, but I promise you the way of the transgressor is hard. You want a better life, live for the Lord. You'll have a better life. I'm not saying there aren't people with better lives than me, but I'm saying I got a lot better one than I ever could have got on my own. And that came from making the Lord the preeminent person in my life and the word of God, the guiding principle in my life. Here's how Joshua could say it to us. Be focused on the truth at hand. You know, undoubtedly, there were a lot of things they had questions about. But Joshua, proverbially speaking, lays this book before him, and the Lord does and says, you know what to do. And you say, well, preacher, I'm in this new season. Yeah, but truth has not changed. Right has not changed. You may be facing things you never thought you'd face. You may be facing an illness you never thought you would or a, a tragedy you never thought you would. You may be facing the, the eruption or implosion of a relationship you never thought you would or the losing of a job that you never thought you would. But whatever has changed in your life, the Word of God is still true and right. You say, preacher, I don't know what my life will look like. Well, just make sure it looks biblical and you'll be doing all right. He says we need to be focused. And then look at verse 8 with me. The Bible says this, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In other words, he says, get in this book and stay in this book. 
Preacher, things have changed in my life. Things have happened in my life. It's not what I expected. It's not what I prayed for. It's not what I looked for or longed for. It's not what I would have wanted. Well, that may be true. Here you are. What are you going to do with it? I'll tell you one of the things you ought to do with it. You ought to not only be fearful and be focused, but you ought to be faithful. You can't affect what everybody else does, but you and you alone decide what you do. And you can make your mind up that you're going to be faithful. You say, well, preacher, be faithful to what? Well, here in our text, I would say be faithful to the word. Verse 8, he says, this book of the law, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Uh, You say, preacher, I I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know what decision to make. Well, if you'll get in this book and stay in it, meditate therein day and night. When you need an answer, God will give you an answer. And in the meantime, God will probably straighten out a lot of things about your life you didn't even know was wrong. You'll come to a place you'll have to have an answer, likely. And when that time comes, you'll be right in the place you need to be for God to speak to you. And between that time and this time, you'll meditate in the word of God. It will only improve your life, whatever it may be. It says we need to be faithful to the word. And then look back at verse 9, and I'm done. I like this. He says, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. We have this invocation again, this command to courage. And then notice he tells us why. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. It's almost like the Lord closed it out by saying all of these things. And he said, I want to remind you something. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never fail you. I'll never give up on you. You know what that means? That means in your life and in my life, if our life becomes a failure, it's us that has failed and not him. One of the first steps to having a successful life is being willing to take responsibility for your choices and the things that you've done. You'll never be successful if you're not willing to acknowledge where you've done wrong and gone wrong. And the Lord gives them sort of a baseline under which they can understand this by saying, listen, if we wind up parted concerning our fellowship, it's not been me that's walked away from you, but rather it's you that's walked away from me. I'd say it this way, be faithful to the word, but number two, be faithful to the Lord. He's not going to leave you. So if you wind up not serving God a year from now, it's not because he quit on you. It's because you quit on him. And listen, I don't say that to buffet you. I don't say that to browbeat you. I just say that to encourage you in this respect. God won't leave you no matter what you face. So if you make your mind up that you're not going to walk away from him, then you can be guaranteed no matter what may come in the next year, 10 years, 20 years, in the next day, the next week, the next month, you can be guaranteed that at the end of it, you'll still be serving God. If you'll commit to serve him, if you'll commit to stay faithful to him, I can guarantee this to you. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to walk away from you. So you say, well, preacher, I don't have it all figured out. You don't have to. You just have to know what your responsibility is and commit yourself afresh and anew day by day to that responsibility. Coming into a new season in life, you can be steadfast. You don't have to let it shake you loose. You don't have to let it tear you out of frame. You can commit yourself to the Lord and you can come out of this thing stronger than when you came into it. Let's bow together this evening. The musician's going to come play. And I just want to give you an opportunity if God spoke to your heart about some matter to meet him down in this altar. I won't ask a hundred questions. But I want you to have the opportunity, if God stirred your heart, to respond to him. Father, bless this invitation. I pray it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.